Matt Whitaker, former U.S. Acting Attorney General. This is such a great conversation about America, our future, what's going to save our republic. We have a great football player. Matt Whitaker is here. Matt. They tried to bury me. They didn't realize I was a seed. Former Acting U.S. Attorney General. Under President Trump. I'm going to be an unwavering supporter of law enforcement. Welcome to Liberty and Justice with your host, Matt Whitaker. Welcome to Liberty and Justice. I'm your host, Matt Whitaker. Uh, I am joined today by former Ambassador Lana Marks. How are you, Ambassador? Good to see you, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, you are on season two, episode one. So that shows you how much I value your friendship and and respect your service to our country. Um, We have a lot to talk about um, on, you know, and and I think uh, we'll try to handle it in chronological order. But, you know, again, it's um, you've you've led a very interesting life. And I respect anyone, not only that has a heart for public service like I do, but somebody that that built a company from scratch. And so I guess, you know, let's start up, let's start with kind of, you know, growing up and, you know, tell me a little bit about uh, kind of, you know, uh, your where you grew up, where you were educated, and, uh, and then we'll go into your business. Thank you. So I was born and raised in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, a city called East London. It was where many of the British settlers went. It was a wonderful life. My parents had very fortunately escaped Lithuania in the mid thirties. And so it was my father's adopted country. He went down to East London to, uh, he had done engineering at Fitz and then went down to do some development in East London. And him and my mom stayed there and I was born and raised there. I had a wonderful life there. The education was superb. I went to Sterling Primary School, Clarendon High School, really top education. And we had a wonderful life. I played tennis in the afternoons. I did ballet in the afternoon. My parents encouraged me to achieve. My father took me from the age of three on buildings. He was building for our family. Uh, Architectural proportion and business is ingrained in my DNA. And my parents taught me about very strict values, whether they were family values, values with people, business values. And uh, my parents went to Europe every year. And my mother rather had us have one beautiful dress than 10 dresses that were terrific, explained fabric to me. Um, And so I had a wonderful life growing up. I went to this university in Johannesburg very young. And um, after that, had chance to meet my husband, a real chance meeting. He was, he was helping Chris Barnard post-transplants with um, uh, therapy in Cape Town. And we left the day after we got married. We were briefly in Bermuda. Then he took a professorship at the University of Miami in medicine uh, in Florida. Wow, were we fortunate to come to Florida indeed. I thank my lucky stars every day. And then I perhaps was a bit more aware of exotic leathers because of crocodile and ostrich in South Africa and had it in me to start a fashion brand and um, was ingrained in business all my life. So yeah. started the brand from my kitchen table in Miami. And I think that's, that's the first, I mean, the, you know, your story is amazing, but the, the idea that I'm going to start uh, a brand, I'm going to compete 
Uh, I'm going to, you know, knock on doors until people accept my product. I mean, you know, you created a, a really high end luxury brand um, that was your name, uh, which, you know, is also, I think, a very bold thing to put your name on something and to say, you know, this is me and I am this. Um, and then, you know, uh, but it's, you know, it's not an overnight success. Like you said, you started at the kitchen table and you had, you know, all a lot of it initially was by your efforts and your, you know, you were not only making products, but you were also uh, selling the product and, you know, making the, you know, hiring people and making the payroll. Tell me about, tell me about the growth uh, of, of your, of your brand. Gosh, I was always in the trenches from the beginning, right through um, starting on my kitchen table in Miami after having done two years research into all the fine tanneries and factories in Europe and learning production from the top master artisans in the north of Italy, which in my humble opinion is the best in the world. Um, I think I was a little naive when I started. And then when I realized how difficult it was, I was too far into it. So there was no turning back. Um, it's a very competitive industry. You're only as good as your last collection. You, it's based on relationships. Um, you have to get shelf space and they're all the big boys of the world. Um, <clears throat> but I had faith that I could do it and I was able to do it. So it's working in three collections a year, having them all produced in Italy. I started off with the fine department stores of the United States. I was pretty persistent to get in. You don't just walk in. So Saks Avenue, Neiman Marcus and Bergdorf Goodman. And we did very, very well dollars per square foot there, uh, which again, you know, the big, the big boys, the big giants were not terribly happy about. So I realized just to continue that I had to open my own stores and I opened in Madison Avenue, New York and got top architects and top uh, builders and then affiliated with all the top charities that I believed in in my heart. Uh, from there, I opened in Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive. These were stores not for the faint of heart. They were long leases. Um, had to spend a million dollars decorating the store. The, the annual budget was very extensive and just to pay the expenses, then opened Rodeo Drive, then opened Aspen and also Palm Beach. And I reinvested all the funds, retained 100% ownership. <clears throat> and to cut a long story short, um, was very fortunate to um, have about 14 of the royal families of the world who were my customers. Um, interfaced with Hollywood really well uh, with the Oscars, was well accepted, um, came up with the concept of a Cleopatra clutch with Elizabeth Taylor, who I met very, very fortunately. She was very gracious, came up with the concept of a Cleopatra clutch and came up with that concept for the Oscars because of her role in Cleopatra, a powerful woman adorned, um, was very fortunate to meet some prominent royals. And from there, after the crash in 2008, there was no business in the United States and I slid all these financial obligations and I said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? So very fortunately, um, I just picked up the phone, called the chairman of Harvey Nichols in London. They were just opening in Dubai. It was before people even knew about Dubai in the United States. It was just emerging. We opened at Harvey Nichols in Dubai. We opened then uh, one perpetuated another and before I knew it I was very significantly also at Harrods in London uh, with the boutique I guess now for quite some time and we were in Europe 
extensively, Asia extensively, and then all the Gulf nations of the Middle East. And it, it was a lot of work. I was working seven days a week. I was on the road. I was doing trunk shows, personal appearances. I did all the international negotiations myself. I made all the mistakes myself and remedied them as quickly as possible. So I was totally in the trenches right throughout and then just self-perpetuated. Yeah. I would imagine there was some time before the 2008 <laughs> crash that you thought to yourself, you know what, I think I've made it. Did you ever, do you remember that moment where you're like, I, you know, I, I think I've created something successful here or were you always just <laughs> driving to the next uh, mountain? No, my, my attitude was I would always look at what I hadn't achieved, not what I had achieved. There was always something ahead of me that I hadn't achieved. So even though I had some very nice success in the department stores and my own small chain of stores in the United States, I saw what I hadn't achieved, that I was not in the global market, and so set out to do that. Yeah, and, and so... Um... You, you go international, you do all this international travel, you're already, uh, you know, kind of experienced growing up in South Africa, and you become an American citizen. Ultimately, uh, 2016 happens, and uh, Donald Trump becomes president, and he approaches you to be the ambassador to South Africa. What, did you want to do that enthusiastically, or did you think, I don't know if I want to do this? Um, first of all, 1994 was the year that we gained our American citizenship. I don't forget that for a day. I'm so grateful for that. And that was the year that Nelson Mandela became president of a free and democratic South Africa. So that's always ingrained in me. Um, when President Trump asked me to be ambassador to South Africa, I was so overwhelmed and so taken aback and of course said immediately, yes, I would be deeply honored and waited a few days, went up to New York, met with the folks there and then told my family and who of course were absolutely gobsmacked by that. It, it was something, such a great honor, something that I will cherish uh, thanks to the greatest president we've ever had. Um, I will cherish that enormously always. Yeah, and I mean, you were remarkable in that role. What what do you think was the highlight of your service? I know you and I have privately talked about some of your challenges, but what do you think uh, were your successes? Uh, we'll start with that. Well, there's several things that um, I was very pleased about. <clears throat> Number one, in a COVID lockdown year, we were able to increase trade with South Africa 31.5%. <clears throat> So that South Africa was actually for the first time ever been in the doldrums for 20 years, was exporting to the United States over a billion dollars a month. And we had a tremendous surge in our bilateral trade in 20 and 21, the years that I was there. <clears throat> the other thing that was terrific, so trade was very important to me. They have incredible manufacturing in South Africa. And I urge American companies to consider South Africa before anyone else internationally once they've utilized everything of the United States. So the second thing was South Africa started aligning with us uh, at the United Nations. I engaged with them with many of the day marshes that I did personally. I did all my day marshes myself. 
and uh, did a lot of the background and made sure that South Africa really understood where we, the United States, stood on the global issues. And they started aligning themselves with us and voting with us in the Security Council. I was really, really pleased about that because prior they had not. Um, the other thing is that I put together a nuclear energy deal with the Minister of Energy, Mantashe, who I brought to the United States and uh, interfaced with our Department of Energy on many other projects as well, carbon capture and shale, but primarily put together a nuclear energy deal for and with South Africa, which was the first of Africa and had it financed at the lowest rate in the world with Adam Bola of DFC. And this I'm very proud of between that we were able to do this because we put together the highest technology of the United States, a company called NewScale, where all the modules are manufactured in the United States, shipped, it's a small nuclear energy facility and shipped to South Africa. And then we take the top folks from the United States and then they train their South African counterparts. It is extremely safe, it's highly effective, it's passed by the department and highly recommended by the Department of Energy and South Africa um, has accepted this. And so these are a few of the highlights. In addition to the PEPFAR program, the HIV AIDS program, we wanted certain concessions from the South African government because Congress had been so generous and was giving $750 million a year in a two-year surge program together with South Africa to bring accountability for HIV AIDS. And we needed concessions uh, to accelerate the rate of progress with the South African government. And I sat down with the minister and the deputy minister, and I said, look, we, we're happy to give all these funds on behalf of the generous Congress and the American people. However, accountability is a big deal for us, and we need these concessions to accelerate the program. There's primarily six of them, and they accepted them. They were so receptive to this, and we were delighted. And the program accelerated in success. So I would, uh, as ambassador to South Africa, you probably had a fairly good view of the continent of Africa. Tell me a little bit about what you observed and the influence of maybe some of our uh, worldwide competitors like China and Russia as their engagement in Africa yeah. versus the United States. Yes. First of all, uh, I was fortunate to be there at the time that South Africa, number one, sat on the Security Council, but also came in at the time of Ramaphosa and not Zuma, as I've articulated in interviews. And Ramaphosa at that time was head of the African Union, which was a big deal. Now, the thing that's terribly important for us as Americans is that we respect the sovereignty of nations in Africa, not just South Africa, which fought so hard for its democracy and its sovereignty, but all the nations, particularly sub-Saharan Africa. Now, China, of course, has this Belt and Road Initiative, which is floundering somewhat now in Africa. And one month after I arrived as U.S. ambassador in South Africa, the Chinese ambassador to South Africa was relocated back to China. And the entire time that I was there, there was no Chinese ambassador in South Africa, which was actually um, quite terrific. But the thing that I would say in terms of our engagement with all the nations in Africa where we have embassies, we need to increase trade. I put together our model when I promoted American trade to and with South Africa. And I said, we want to help South Africa help itself. We, we don't want to use other models where other countries, I was very subtle, laid 
South Africa with debt trap and the small print would seize their sovereign assets. And they wanted to put in a $4 billion port for a commercial port on the most beautiful beaches of South Africa on the East Coast. And I halted that in its tracks amongst many, many other things. But I think relationships are terribly important. We have to respect the sovereignty of these magnificent African nations. We have to understand that they have tremendous production facilities. And I urge American companies to consider Africa and South Africa with increased further trade um, instead of Asia, because they will get terrific results. And I think if we even just consider those few things, we will surge in Africa as we did uh, in 2020, 2021, and the end of 2019. Yeah, and I've seen some recent population statistics suggesting that um, some of the countries in Africa are going to grow rapidly. They have a very young population. They're going to grow rapidly in size. And ultimately, I guess that would be in uh, economic influence as well. Uh, did you have some uh, observations on just sort of the importance, I guess, long in the future of, of Africa and some of these, these, these countries? Yes. Uh, thank you for highlighting that, Matt. That's a terribly important point. With the young population emerging in South Africa and Africa, it's very important that they have jobs. And many of these countries, they are not able to offer jobs to young folks. So South Africa at the moment has 55% unemployment, which is, is too wow. terrible currently with the young folks. So one of the things we were able to do, and I urge our giant American companies and others to consider South Africa and consider Africa besides they'd be so grateful to the United States. For example, Ford Motor Company had a plant north of Johannesburg uh, because South Africa is known for the motor industry and manufacturing. And so they were gonna open up another very substantial plant in Asia. And I had them pivot and not open that plant in Asia, but expand exponentially the Ford plant in South Africa so that going forward with that expansion now, they will in the future be employing 80,000 young South Africans, which is huge. And South Africa is very grateful and very appreciative. And I would strongly urge American companies to consider the excellent production of all the young folks in Africa. Also with our USAID programs right throughout Africa, I think that it's also about accountability. It's not just giving money for programs. It's about accountability and engaging all the folks in Africa, respecting their sovereignty. Everything is about relationships. Um, yes, there are talks about corruption and things like this, but there's ways to get around that with proper yeah. accountability of programs, with proper accountability of trade. There are ways to get around that. And Ford Motor Company got around that as have many other giant companies. But I think we in the United States really have to focus on South Africa being the anchor of Africa for trade and Africa for the future. Such a good point. So, um, you know, again, we could talk all day about um, what you did in South Africa and your successful business. And, you know, I try to keep this show uh, tight and, uh, and just, you know, so, but, what, what are you doing now? Uh, you've come back from uh, your, your time as ambassador to South Africa. Uh, how do you spend um, your time now? Yes. 
So I was just elected to the board of the Council of uh, American Ambassadors and um, interfacing uh, quite a lot with the Senate and uh, many folks in many countries. And it's a bipartisan group uh, of ambassadors, politically appointed ambassadors from 11 prior presidents. And so getting involved in that, um, I'd given my daughter about half an hour to take over my company before I left. Um, so helping my daughter with that. I was very fortunate to have my son at my side in South Africa, Martin. He helped me with many, many things from land with eminent domain and many, many things. So besides, of course, my husband. Um, and so helping Martin with some various projects. He stood for uh, Congress and also doing some real estate and just going in many, many directions at the moment and very well, busy. And then doing interviews with you. And that's my sense is, you know, spending time with you and your family. It always seems like there is a lot going on. And I always am very grateful for any time that I'm able to spend with you and your family because you're such just outstanding uh, American citizens that have lived, you know, you've lived the American dream. I mean, I, I just, I, you know, it's something I let, love highlighting on this is people that have uh, come to the United States or have grown up in the United States and took advantage of what we have here. I didn't ask for any help, but just came up with an idea and executed that. So I just yes. want to congratulate you, you on that. I know that um, if people want to follow you on Twitter, it's Atlanta Marks. Um, and is there any other way that, that uh, yes. the listeners and viewers of the show can keep track of what you're up to? No, just at Atlanta Marks. But I just want to say that we, not a day goes by that we're grateful to be American citizens and to be part of this incredibly great country and um, just there is no country like America, our freedoms, our democracy. You can achieve whatever you want through hard work. And I'm an example of that. We came to this country not knowing one person had no contacts at all. And when I became ambassador in South Africa, I never knew any of the ministers or government leaders. So this really is possible. I'm also very strong about women's empowerment as well. So here's a lesson to women. You can achieve whatever you want in this country. It just takes tremendous hard work, persistence, and determination. And I'm so grateful for your friendship, Matt. Well, thank you. I can't wait to see you soon um, and spend some more time. We always enjoy uh, whenever we get to connect because I, I learn something uh, from you uh, every time we have a chance to chat. So thanks for being on Liberty and Justice. As you may know, uh, Ambassador, this is premieres Friday uh, on CPAC now, and then it's distributed on my website, Whitaker.tv. Otherwise, uh, anywhere podcasts, you can get the audio version of this. Uh, thank you so much. Former ambassador, U.S. ambassador to South Africa, Atlanta Marks. Thank you so much. I'm deeply honored. Thank you.